If you have your Bible, go ahead and, and grab that, please, and open with me to Romans chapter 1. Uh, those of you who have an outline see ahead of time what we're going to be talking about. But uh, let me say this, too. Those of you who were here this morning but did not get an outline, I really would like for you to go in the back and in the, the, where the outlines are kept. Um, there are still several left over from this morning. Uh, grab that and see what good was done with... Um, there's a list of all the things that were accomplished with the money that the elders entrusted to those five families. And um, I, I think that we can say without any question that we were much more proactive with uh, those funds than we have been in the past. Uh, the the uh, choices were a lot of thought was went into uh, the people that were helped and um, the things that were done. It, it was really a, a good project. And like John said this morning, it doesn't really end. Um, let's all be about this. And one of the, again, one of the other things that we wanted to accomplish is to make benevolence more real and to know what takes place. We, we want you to know who's being helped or how that help is being distributed. It, it's easy to give money and say, well, you know, we give, you know, thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars dollars $14,000 a week, and, and we know people are helped with that, but it's nice to know this is how they're helped, and this is what has been done this year. And not only was that done, and not only were they given 2500 and then they grew to even more than double that, um, but also the, the money that was spent in the benevolent budget, we have also helped to the tune of about I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's in the outline now, I've forgotten, seventeen or $1,300, I can't remember. But out of that amount of money that we have helped people with, only 90 of it actually came from the church budget. The rest of it was done by individual donations. So um, you do a good work, and uh, you're, you're very kind and benevolent, and God loves a cheerful giver. And I appreciate that, and, and just encourage you to keep that good work up. Romans chapter 1, uh, if you'll look with me in just a minute, we're going to begin reading in verse 14, but one could easily create a series of lessons entitled, It's Not What You Think. In fact, I have, and uh, have preached it in some gospel meetings on a couple of occasions. But there are certain lessons that... Um, when, if you were to give a title, people would say, oh yeah, I know what he's going to talk about. Um, if I talked about David and a giant, oh yeah, I know, First Samuel 15 uh, through, you know, D- David and Goliath. And, but that's not who I would be talking about. I'd be talking about David and Ishbi Binab, you know, another giant that David fought. And things didn't go so well this time. David was pretty much beaten, and had it not been for a friend, he would have been killed by this giant. Um, There's the Ethiopian eunuch, and if I were to say, let's talk about the Ethiopian eunuch tonight, I'm sure most of you'd be flipping your Bible toward Acts chapter 8, but that's not what I'm talking about. There's an Ethiopian eunuch mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 38 that plays a significant role in the life of Jeremiah the prophet. And there's some great lessons that we can learn from his life. If I said uh, we're going to talk about the Beatitudes tonight, 
um, we might very quickly flip to the Sermon on the Mount and look at those first 12 verses that are the Beatitudes of Jesus, but uh, I would probably take you to Revelation, and there are some blessed are in the book of Revelation, the Beatitudes in, in that book. And if I were to say, let's study the I am statements of the Bible, you might turn to the book of John. Because in the book of John, there are seven I am statements of Jesus. There are seven signs, miracles that Jesus performed in the book of John. And there are also seven I am statements. I'm the shepherd. I am the the door to the sheepfold. I'm the bread of life and so forth. But that's not what I'm pointing you to tonight either. The lesson is entitled, The I Am Statements. But they're the I Am Statements of the Apostle Paul. And so if you'd have your Bible, open it to Romans chapter 1, and let's read verses 14 through 17. The Apostle Paul said, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, not uh, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, that is, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In those three passages, or three verses, four verses, there are three statements. Did you see them? That Paul said, I am. And uh, they stand to challenge, I believe, me today in my Christian life. And I want to look at what he said, I am. And I want to make those things a part of who I am as well. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, be a follower of me even as I also am of Jesus. And it's good to look at characters in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 God gave examples of those we don't want to follow and said, pay attention, look at their lives and do not do these things. And then there are people that God says, I want you to be like this. In 3 John, you read about uh, Diotrephes and and, um, Demetrius and, and, you, you know, follow one, don't follow the other. And that's, Paul said, I'm one that you need to follow as I follow Jesus. So let's look. Let's see what he said. He begins in verse 14 by saying, I am a debtor. Well, basically to everybody. Uh, They summed up the world by, you're either a Jew or a barbarian. You're either a Jew or a Greek. Um, There were two classes of people. And by saying, I am a debtor to uh, the Jews as well as the barbarians, or to the, the Greeks as well as the barbarians. He, he's saying, I'm, I'm a debtor to everybody. What would make Paul say that he was a debtor? Paul could have boasted in his freedom. Conrad brought this out last Wednesday in his invitation as he talked about the Apostle Paul and how he said that I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ and, and those are strange words coming from one who is a Roman citizen. He had Roman citizenship, and that was the thing to have in the first century. 
Uh, you could buy citizenship if you saved up enough money and lived long enough and, and fell into circumstances where you could raise that kind of money. You could buy citizenship. You could be granted citizenship by uh, your being born in the right place at the right time. Paul was born in a Roman colony, Saul of Tarsus. And because of that, he had Roman citizenship. And among a number of uh, benefits that come by that was the benefit to a a trial, not to be beaten, not to be uh, harshly uh, used. And even if you were guilty of a death crime, they wouldn't, you wouldn't be one hanging on a cross, lighting the streets that led to Rome, uh, you know, or put up for shame and display and a very tormenting kind of death. Because you were a Roman citizen, if you did something worthy of death, you at least had the privilege of letting it in quickly. You know, they would put you to death with mercy, with compassion, and not make you suffer. Uh, Roman citizenship allowed you to vote. It gave you a right to go to uh, the, 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 the games, the entertainment, and so forth. There are a number of, of things. People died People worked for years and years to gain this kind of freedom and privilege. And Paul had it by birth. And he says of himself, I am indebted. Why? And when you look at it from another standpoint, there's his physical life, his his Roman citizenship. But look at it from the standpoint of his Christianity. Acts 9, Jesus said of Paul, or the Lord said of Paul, Hey, Ananias, go to this man. He is a chosen vessel of mine. This guy, I have plans for him. You go pick him. He's going to be an apostle, one born out of due season. Paul was privileged. God called, God hand selected him among everybody else to be an apostle to the Gentiles. So if anyone had right to boast of freedom and, and privilege, it would have been Paul. Not only am I a Roman citizen, not only did I advance far above my peers in Judaism, not only did God hand select me. He didn't say any of that. He said, I am indebted. In what sense was Paul indebted to people? Well, I think the answer comes when we consider, well, I'll say it this way. Christmas time. Aren't your kids pleasant? You know, that that morning, boy, they feel so happy. And they get all these presents, and, and they're so just bubbling over. They, they Oh, they're so... One Christmas, we got Kelly, she's not here to defend herself, we got her a gift that she was so excited, I think she short-circuited. She ripped it open, saw what it was, and just froze for the longest time. She was so happy that she got these things. And at that time, you could ask them to do anything, and they would do it. You, you want a drink? Sure, I'll go get you a drink, Dad. You know, because they, they feel they've received so much they feel indebted, and they would help each other. You know, children don't always act like brothers and sisters ought to have act, but they do on that day. 
because they are so overwhelmed with what they have received that they feel indebted. I think that's what Paul's experiencing here. The Apostle Paul is a recipient of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was once lost and now he has been found. And he is so overwhelmed that he feels an obligation to share that good news with everybody. We need to sense that obligation. We need to understand and have that same sense that I am a debtor. I don't know your story. I know mine. And there are people in my life that I'm a debtor to, and I don't even know who they are, but I feel a sense of indebtedness. I told you a while back, you know, um, Kim's family, uh, her grandmother, when, when Kim's mom passed away a few years ago, uh, she got some old letters that belonged to the grandparents, and, and they had basically raised their children and didn't know the truth. And when that grandmother of Kim's found the truth, she began a letter-writing campaign to her children, trying to teach them the gospel through letter and trying to instruct them in things that she didn't get to instruct that because she didn't know before. And, and those letters are valuable. And she was able to um, reach some of her children, Kim's mom. And, and then Kim as consequence. And had that woman never done that, had Kim's grandmother never done that, Kim and I wouldn't have met. It completely changes your life. You're indebted to people. I, I think back, I had a grandfather, a, well, a great-great-grandfather who was a preacher in the 1800s in the Ohio Valley, 1860s. What would have happened had he never preached? Or who was it? that taught him the gospel. I've often wondered, because he lived during a period of time that overlapped Alexander Campbell, and they lived right there within 15 miles of each other or so. I'm sure there was some connection there. But who taught him? I don't know. But I'm indebted because he taught his children and they taught their children and so on, and, and I was taught the gospel. And, and those are just my stories. I'd like to be able to fill in more blanks. But what about you? How did you come to know the truth? Who shared that message with you? And how has it changed your life? We're, we're talking about eternity. We're talking about heaven and hell. What do you owe a person? for helping you escape hell so that you might experience heaven? How long will it take you to pay that person back? We can't. But we live with a sense of indebtedness that we will never overcome. Listen, if you uh, had a child and that child, well, if, if I in some way saved that child's life, when would you feel like you didn't owe me anything? How long would it take? Would you not, for the rest of your life, remember the day? And and I think that whoever would do something like that for my family, uh, they would always have a special place. I would be indebted. If there was something that you needed that I could do, I would do it because look what you did for me. Paul said, first of all, I am a debtor. 
let's share in that as well. We are too. We're indebtors. We're indebted to the people of this community. We know Jesus and salvation, and they don't. What are we going to do about that? Let's do our best to help warn them like we have been warned. Also, he said in verse 15, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel, even also to you who are in Rome. Paul says, I'm ready. I'm a debtor, and I'm ready, and I'm ready to preach. I like what he says, because, you know, his readiness is different from my readiness, what it takes. Because the Bible tells us, concerning the Apostle Paul and all the apostles, do you remember what is said in in, uh, John chapter 14 and verse 26? When the Holy Spirit was promised to be sent to them, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things, whatever I've said. What an advantage in terms of readiness. How, How good would it be to know that when I got up here to speak, I didn't have to remember anything. It would just be, I'd be reminded um, by the Holy Spirit. In Matthew, also chapter 10 and verse 19, Paul said, or Jesus said, you know, the day will come when you're going to be delivered up and you'll have to go stand before kings and, and you'll be arrested. And, and you know, what are you going to say? What, what are you going to say when you're in that position? He said, don't worry about it. Because I will tell you what and how to say, and it'll be given to you in that hour. So, you know, they had inspiration working for them. Not only the, the what, the content, but even the how. How they were going to say it. That, that was promised to them by God. He said, give no concern about it. I'm going to take care of you. So I don't think Paul's readiness really had reference to his being all studious and having done his homework, because I think those things were given to him. But is there not a sense of readiness in terms of willingness? I am willing to go wherever it takes me to go. If I need to go to Rome, I'll go to Rome. If I need to go here, I'll go here. I think that's more of what Paul had in mind contextually. Now, with us today... It takes study. It takes preparation. And for me to say that I am ready to preach the gospel, I don't have the Holy Spirit coming and giving me remembrance in the, in the hour I need it. I don't have any promise as to Him making sure that I do it in the right way. I, I have to study. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I, I have to spend time in the Word. You know, two passages, 1 Peter 3.15 and 2 Peter 3.15, both have to do with... In 1 Peter, he says, listen, I want you... Well, I've just gone blank. See, I told you I don't have the Holy Spirit telling me what what to say. I, I just went blank on that passage. But here's what it says. It's talking about being ready to give an answer to every man that asks the reason of the hope that's within us with meekness and in fear. And then in 2 Peter chapter 3, he tells us that we need to be able to um, grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
we've got to spend time in the Word. If we're to be ready to preach the Gospel, we don't have to know everything. But we do have to know the reason for the hope that is within us. Listen, are you going to heaven? Have you been saved from your sins? If you say yes to that, you ought to be able to tell the person sitting next to you why and why you have that hope and that assurance. That much we should know. He doesn't tell us we have to know everything, but he tells us we should know why we have the hope within us. Let's learn, let's study, let's be ready to preach the gospel to whoever needs it. And then third, he says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God and salvation, um, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed. There are those who are very quick to say, I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. You know, pass this on if you love Jesus. You know, all these Facebook things. Uh, we're, we're not ashamed at all to, to talk about faith in Jesus because we live in a culture where it's acceptable and there's no challenge, there's no risk in saying that. But I'm convinced this, that many people who talk freely about their love for Jesus are really in love with the Jesus they created and not the Jesus of the Bible. They're, they're in love with the Jesus that fits their thinking and, and was made in their image. Because when you start talking about what Jesus actually taught, all of a sudden, I, I don't like that. I, I'm not in favor of that. I don't think you should tell people that. That sounds judgmental. I remember a number of years ago, when that whole Collinsville, Oklahoma uh, situation took place where a person was disciplined and they sued and all that. And, and I don't want to get into the details of it and, and who was right and who was wrong, how it was done. But here's the thing. Does the Bible prescribe that those who walk disorderly be disciplined by the church? It, it most definitely does. And I remember a woman a number of years ago talking to me about that and she said, I have never been so embarrassed to tell anybody that I'm a member of the Church of Christ because of what took place there. Why would you be embarrassed that somebody was doing what the Lord says to do? People are embarrassed about our chauvinistic position, uh, as they would call it, with reference to the role of women or the necessity of baptism or the, the way we worship in song and not the use of mechanical instruments. And the list can go on and on and on. And and when we start talking about Jesus, then all of a sudden when we start talking about his words, oh, I like Jesus, but uh, I'm not so keen on some of the things that he said. And that's problematic. Mark 8 and verse 38 tells us that not only must we not be ashamed of Jesus, but we must also not be ashamed of his words. As a Christian, truth should not embarrass you. You should stand for truth because it's truth. And the truth is what sets people free from their sins. And why would we be embarrassed for that? Truth doesn't fly with everybody. A lot of lives are out of tune with truth. But 
Should not the person in error be the one embarrassed? Not the proclaimer of truth. The person who violates truth should be the one who finds a sense of guilt and embarrassment. So Paul said in these three verses here, three things. I am a debtor, and I am ready, and I am not ashamed. Those ought to be able to be said by all of us as well. What if we all feel that sense of indebtedness and we are prepared and have armed ourselves to take the gospel to, to everyone and we're not ashamed to do it? We can turn this world upside down and God will be with us in doing that. So I want to challenge you as you go forth this week to remember those three I am statements of the Apostle Paul. I am a debtor, I am ready, and I am not ashamed. And let's go forth from this place this week to our work, uh, to our families, to our homes, and let's share in those three I am statements. If you're here tonight, let me ask you one more. Are you a Christian? Can you say, I am a child of God? If you can't, it can be remedied. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that, do that tonight. We'll assist you in that. If you're a child of God and unfaithful and, and you, you just need to make things right, you, you need to get back on path and be committed uh, as a follower of Jesus, we'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing. Amen.